All right. As we continue in our service, uh, some news in the Bartosic life. Uh, Casey had her appendix taken out on Tuesday. Uh, has that ever happened in you guys? Anyone? Did it burst? So we, so it's Monday evening, Tuesday at about 1 a.m. midnight. Uh, Casey's complaining that she's in pain, right? And that she had been in pain at about 8 p.m. I was like, well, I'm fine. I'm going to bed. So it was about 8 p.m. But at about midnight, 1 a.m., the pain was, was still present. And so, um, like any good husband, um, I sent her to the hospital, right? Some might drive their wives to the hospital. I'm like, well, babe, I believe in you. So Casey headed to the hospital. Turns out it was uh, an inflamed appendix, and she had it removed. And so that was a little bit of our week this week. But also, in addition, uh, there's some exciting news of life in the body. Born to Michael and Kelly Kopp, uh, and it's also a Kaylee and Lauren, two daughters they currently have. They just added another sweet little life, uh, Mackenzie Ann Kopp, born, uh, born 320 at 813 in the morning and seven pounds, eight ounces, 21 inches long. So exciting news to add life to the body. And uh, another lady, uh, Megan Hamlet. Megan uh, is, I believe, due sometime today or this week. So we'll get to hear about that next week. I love, but again, the value of adding life to the body, right? Does that get you guys excited? Just me. Okay. All right. So excited to jump into uh, the next text this week. So uh, just to review, I, I love always framing and going back where we've been thus far and so a few weeks ago, this quote was one that we put up on the board that, that this journey is one of a process, a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And I don't know if you're anything like me, I would prefer just to arrive. I would prefer that, that whatever growth is taking place in my life, it would just happen. I think everyone around me would be better for probably if I just was a little bit better husband. But instead, it is this process being worked out in our life to become more like the image of Christ. And what Peter has been challenging us with is he's now making this turn in his letter a few weeks ago. Where in the first few chapters, he was hitting us over the identity of what it meant to live a new identity. Can you guys believe we were looking at that screen for a few weeks? Doesn't this feel nicer? Just, oh man, just little things in life. <laughs> resurrection rolls and screens on the side. Uh, you guys ever had a resurrection roll? Game changer. Anyway, so he makes this turn in verse 11 and 12 where he now shifts to saying, so what does this life look like? What does this new identity look like? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, this world is not your home to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and unlike Paul, now he's making it more evangelistic in the way we live our lives. It's actually a witness telling of our joy in Jesus. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so now he's made this turn to a few household codes. He, he spoke a little bit a while ago how we interact with the government. 
He spoke last week a little bit of how we interact with our employer as we follow Jesus' example. And then this week, he's turning into how we interact with our spouses. And so uh, I feel like this phrase right here is helping capture this turn he's making. That Peter, Peter is challenging us to live out our new identity in Jesus in the midst of a needy and watching skeptical, sometimes even a hostile world for the sake of God's glory. And so I was asking this question, so what is our watching world? What, what is the world we find ourselves in today? And so here's a few ideas, not challenges, but rather opportunities about the world we find ourselves in. That it, that it seems to me that there's an increasing uh, sense that our culture promotes values that are in opposition to what God tells us will be for our greatest good. That this is just being increasingly seen as an archaic text that has no relevance for my life. That it seems to me there's this increasing culture that assumes that, that I'm a hater when my moral compass differs from theirs. That there's just this increasing animosity that, that is... Uh, uh, assuming that uh, I'm, I'm intolerant, that I'm a hater when my moral compass conflicts with theirs. And third, there's just this increasing temptation to acquiesce to our culture. It's just plain easier. Yeah, why do I want to keep advocating for these values? I mean, it's, it's just exhausting. I mean, it's, it's, isn't it just easier to acquiesce? And so this is the watching world we find ourselves in today. Peter, writing to first century Christians, I think now has deep application for the world we find ourselves in. And so, as we head into this particular text, uh, I, I don't know where you might be coming from in, in your journey and, and some of the worldviews you might hold. So I, I want to share just a little bit. As Peter takes us into this husband-wife relationship, I, I just want to share a little bit of the background, the groundwork from where my worldview, our worldview around here comes from. And so it's rooted in this, that, that God actually designed life to work in a certain way for our good and our happiness. And that's predicated on, on this conviction that there are two sexes, that there are male and female. And, and, and he actually designed us to be relational beings, like we, some maybe enjoy relationships a little bit more than others, but he's designed us nothing on that one. Come on, just a little bit. Right, Seth? So introverts, I love you introverts. You guys are good people too. God loves you too. <laughs> but we're relational beings. It's just how he's wired us. And, and that relational connection, that relational intimacy ha has kind of a narrowing effect because there's degrees of relational connection, right? I mean, I love my dog. I mean, over quarantine, I don't know if I've shared this with you, I, I felt very successful. I was able to teach Sweet Franklin how to shake. I'm still having trouble having him stop eating out of the garbage, but he can shake, so I'll take that as success. But I love Franklin, I love my dog. And, and there's friends in our life. There's this intimacy, intimacy that we share with friends in our life. Uh, and then there's, there's family. There's this narrowing degree of increased intimacy that gets shared that is different with your family than with your friends, potentially. Knowing that there still might be some challenges. And then, and then God has the, designed this relationship where there's increased intimacy shared in this marriage relationship. 
and, 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 and we define that. God defines that in Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. There is this beautiful relational connection and intimacy that is experienced like no other relationship within a marriage. And that's, I think, in three ways it gets manifest. There's a spiritual intimacy that gets shared there. There's an emotional intimacy that gets shared there. And then there's a physical intimacy that gets shared there that ought to be there like no other relationship we have. And so it's based upon this foundation that I think where Peter is taking us this morning finds its home. Because he's been talking about how we as followers of Jesus are living in this watching world. How we interact with the government, how we interact with our employer, and now how we interact within this beautiful union of husband and wife. And I I think there's principles. So I want to give just a few caveats as we jump in. Because... You might hear these words and go, man, this feels so archaic. And yet I think there's a beauty in what Peter is calling us to about how we interact on display for the watching world. But but I want you to hear this, that that whether single or, or potentially divorced, I still think there's principles in this text that he's applying about what it means to honor everyone which Peter shared with us earlier. And I hope what we, what we talk about and wrestle with today is not heard as license for abuse. If you're, in a, if, if you're in an abusive relationship, this is not license to continue. We are not advocating that you continue in an abusive relationship. And it's also sharing. And relationships are hard and messy. And so back to that very first quote, we're in process, right? This is an ongoing process. But Peter is now calling us this morning about how we interact in this husband and wife relationship to a watching world. So here's, here's the text for this morning. 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7. And here's, here's again the value. We've talked about this before. We just preach books around here, right? Our methodology is is to select a text and then just preach all the way through it. And sometimes, due to that methodology, we get the text that sometimes others might just go, well, I'd I'd want to just skip that thing. Let's just move past that. So if you have questions, again, like a few weeks ago, you could email me at fred at hbclife.com should you you have any concerns. But here's the text that Peter is, is drawing us into this morning. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of you do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respect and pure conduct. The context here is written, you can see it, to a community where, where most likely their husband wasn't actually following Jesus. The wife had been, been, uh, been, uh, put her faith in Jesus, but the husband had yet. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I thought this week for Casey, I'm like, Casey, maybe we should practice this. What, what Sarah, Abraham, she was not as excited. I'm just kidding. That was, we, did, we did not say that this week. Might have thought it, but we didn't say it. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's where we're headed this morning, that there is something beautiful about the way Christian marriage looks. Because we hope in God, there is something different that is on display for the watching world. So pray with me as we jump into the text this morning. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our, in our lives, in our world. Uh, this week, where we find ourselves, may we hear you a little bit more fully in the words you've communicated through Peter and, and how they apply to our world today. Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, because we hope in God, Christian marriage looks different. But again, if you find yourself, whether single or divorced, I hope as we wrestle through these principles, there's still deep, deep application to be had. So here's where we're headed. Because we hope in God, Christian marriages look different. And we're going to just take two primary ideas. Wives who hope in God and husbands who hope in God. So here's where, here's where we'll start. Wives who hope in God. Peter starts here for, and we're going to jump to verse 5 because here's the power of what I think he's saying. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. There's something, there's something about uh, a woman who adorns herself differently because of her connection to this hope in God. She's not hoping in her husband. She's not hoping in her, her circumstances. She hopes in God and lives in a certain way. So, so let's jump back in. How does that actually look? What do wives who hope in God look like? So that others might see God through her conduct. The first, I think, we'll just start at the beginning to find the context where this is found. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, right? Likewise. What has just gone before that Peter's trying to say, hey, there's something that I want to tell you about the way you interact with the world. It was Jesus. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered, leaving you an example. There was a patience. There was this deep patience demonstrated in the way Jesus lived in the midst of unjust circumstances. Now he says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Writing to a community where these wives had come to follow Jesus and yet their husbands had yet, Peter saying, your husbands will come to find hope in Jesus. How? In the way you live. Without a word. What do you think? Do you think he means like don't say anything? Just be silent? You got to have like, it's like Pictionary or something like that. Is that, is that what he's intending? No, I think primarily trying to emphasize the way you live 
But absolutely, it must include words. So, what do wives who hope in God look like? I think they cultivate an inner beauty. Here's what he says. So, maybe you've already tuned me out because you go, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. You're like, David, we do not talk like that. Again, here we say, these aren't David's words, right? We just want to read the text and hear from God and what he's sharing with us through Peter. So, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And verse 3, so do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. So is Peter saying, like, just you should live your life in a messy bun? Is that what he's saying? Like, you should just go around all day. I mean, forget makeup. Just live the messy bun lifestyle. Is that what he's saying? How might from the text, when we read this, go, well, David, should I not wear gold jewelry? And some of you might be thinking, yeah, David, I don't want to wear gold jewelry anyway. It's rose gold now, or it's like silver, right? It's like the silver gold, right? We don't even want, we don't even want gold. Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry. Why might we believe there's a bigger principle at play than just those specific things? Because he says, or the clothing you wear. Do you think he's advocating we just, without any clothes, is that what he's advocating for? No right? He's saying there's something bigger. There's something beautiful about wives who hope in God, women who hope in God. There's a way they demonstrate their lives, not through external beauty, but this inner beauty. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So is he saying you shouldn't, you shouldn't be like, you should be like introverted and shy? Is that what he's advocating for? Or is he actually advocating for something different? There's this inner beauty that permeates women who hope in God. There is this gentleness and deep, formidable spirit. But rather than finding your security and significance by your Instagram filter, he says there's something deeper that actually permeates. Rather than actually taking a photo and saying, man, how many likes am I getting based upon how much skin I might have shown, he's advocating for something different. Rather than appealing through your sexual ability and, and manipulating your husband to get what you want, he's saying there's actually an inner beauty that is significantly more attractive and even more is precious in the sight of God. And then he keeps building Wives who hope in God have this inner beauty and they fear nothing. Here's what he says. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even some who do not obey the word may be won by the way you live your life. When they receive respectable and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on a gold jewelry, clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Anybody else want to preach this? Anybody else thinking, man, I wish I was preaching this right now. Is anyone else thinking that in their head right now? (laughs) For this is how the holy women, here's the problem, right? When you talk about these texts, then you get to go home and go, David, you, when we get to the husband part, it's like, do what I say, not what I do, right? There's room to grow. It's a process. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. 
and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And so the question is, what does Peter have in mind? Because whenever we hear these authors tell us a story, we're wondering, what are you trying to tell us? You ever been in a conversation and someone shares Maybe your spouse, maybe your friend shares an idea that feels completely out of context and you're like, I, 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 I know you have a point, I just don't see it yet. You ever felt like that? So we're asking the question, Peter, what do you have in mind by telling us about Sarah? So test this. But there's only one point in the Old Testament where Sarah calls Abraham Lord And it doesn't necessarily put her in a favorable light. So we're going to try and look at Hebrews as well to see if it provides some depth. But as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord, you are her children if you hope in God and you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So here's the only place in the Old Testament Sarah is seen as calling Abraham Lord. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time. So Abraham and Sarah are old. And God is giving them a promise about what is going to take place in and through their lineage. This is the father of a great nation of what will become Israel and what we get invited into through faith is this promise to Abraham. And usually we get to hear about Father Abraham. Peter is elevating Sarah and the value that Sarah brings. And so there was an interaction between an angel and Abraham And here's here's what we hear. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And so Sarah is using a term, not Lord as in this is my master, but in a similar fashion of respect and gentleness and awareness of this relationship of who Abraham is in her life. I'm worn out and my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? What might Peter be celebrating about Sarah in this moment? Here's what the author of Hebrews picks up. By faith, there's, there's some faith that Sarah is demonstrating. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and I love this. Every once in a while, you just come across these lines in the Bible. You're like, man, that's good. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. Next time you walk up to someone who's of a certain age and you could just say, hey, in the Bible, it told me to refer to you as essentially as good as dead. Don't do that. Don't do that. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So so what is being celebrated about Sarah? Yeah, this hope in God. Wives who hope in God are daughters of Sarah. That there's a faith that characterizes the way they live. To an unbelieving husband, they still long for God to be present and do a work. But then the question is, so what's the fear component? How's that relate? If you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. There's a quote, there's a proverb, 31. 31. 
and we see a quote that I think helps capture what this lack of fear is. The author of this, Proverbs 31, says this, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She looks at the circumstances around her, and there is a fearlessness that permeates wives who hope in God, because they're not basing their significance, their security on external beauty, and they're not basing it on uh, certain circumstances. Instead, they laugh because they hope in something beyond this life. Because we hope in God, Christian marriages look different. Wives who hope in God cultivate inner beauty, fear nothing, and then gladly submit. And we put that word in there very purposefully. They gladly submit. Here's what the text says. For this is how holy women who hope in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And you're thinking, David, you're not a woman. How do you, what is this relevance for us? You don't know about this stuff. I, I'm, well, the husband part is coming that maybe I could speak a little bit more, uh, more to. But this is how they, they live, by submitting to their own husbands. So I wrestled. So what, what submission is not? When he uses this language, what is it not? What might that be? I think agreement on every matter. I'm just going to agree on whatever my husband says. In verse 1, we understand that not to be the case because he's already saying you might be married to someone who doesn't love Jesus. So already there is not agreement on every matter. Not agreement 1,000% of the time. That's not what submission is. Nor is it just checking your mind at the door. That, that I've, just, I've just checked out and, and I, I have no investment in this relationship at all. We're not saying that's what submission is. And we're not saying it's resignment to change in your husband. Again, back to verse 1. By your conduct, he might be one. We actually believe your efforts could actually make a difference in their life. And acquiescing to husband above Christ. What submission is not? Just like we said with the government or even our employment relationships, it's not just acquiescing to our husband above Christ. And then exclusive spiritual nourishment through your husband. I, I was speaking to, to a lady recently who, um, who suffered mightily under this mentality of, of, uh, of, of a certain level of control or, or coercion. Um, the value of encouragement uh, mutual encouragement from other people, exclusive spiritual nourishment through your husband. So then, what might it be? What might it look like to gladly submit? And so I always think in terms of extremes. So what would those extremes be? What would that actually look like? I think on one end, there's this, there's this sense of impatience. What, what might it actually look like for a wife who hopes in God to gladly submit? I think on one life, it, it's, it's not a demonstration of impatience where there's this short-tempered, unkind, harsh interaction that reveals we don't actually accept them for who they are because we're not confident that God is working in them and through us all. And it manifests itself in this kind of gritty, unkind impatience in everyday circumstances. But I also don't think it's this kind of res resignation where we just kind of give up. Man, my husband's never going to change. David, do you know my husband? 
He's just a knucklehead. He's not going to change at all. And so we just resign ourselves to this unresisting, yielding acquiescence to other people that may appear to be acceptance. However, it actually reveals we do not accept them for who they are because we're not confident that God can or will ever change them. David, I've been dealing with this same conversation for years and nothing's changed. I've just resigned myself to believe it's always going to be this way in our relationship. Instead, instead, there is this beauty of what gladly submitting looks like, and it's this demonstration of what we saw in Jesus modeling is this patience. This patience, this gentle, loving, and affirming ability to genuinely accept others for who they are, no matter their behavior or treatment of us, because we are convinced that God is actively working in and through us all. So switching gears real quick. You ready? What makes that so powerful? I think that same answer we said earlier. Because we hope in God, it looks different. You know the Grammys were down from 16 million viewers to about 7.9 viewers this past season, this past week? I think the watching world is looking for a different way for human sexuality to be expressed. And Christians have this beautiful relationship that displays God's glory. And the world is looking for it. So this, husbands who hope in God, what does that look like? Steve, you ready to jump in? We're ready, Steve. So Steve usually sends me a nice text afterwards like, oh, David, you botched that, but God's faithful. He's still working. You're still in process. So likewise, wives, and we're going to jump to verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how holy women who hope in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. So I'm not advocating you call your husband Lord, but rather there's, a, there's a, a character quality. And you are her children if you do good and fear nothing that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Every premarital counseling session I do, we always start with this conversation. Christian marriage is different. Why? Because it appears most people are looking for their significant other to fill something up in them. And once they are unable to fulfill that, I move on to someone who can. Christian marriage instead on the other side says, I'm so filled up with Jesus that I want to happily value your inner beauty and pursue. We're going to keep going, pursue your happiness. So husbands who hope in God, what do they look like? They value their wife's inner beauty. Again, so what tends to happen in another marriage? Once you no longer look beautiful on the outside, I'm moving on. Instead, Christian marriages say there's something actually much more profound taking place in the husband who hopes in God in the way it manifests itself. We actually demonstrate this value of our wives, our significant others, inner beauty. Likewise, husbands, Broader context, you guys remember, we're still under this broader context. He's not saying husbands submit to wives in the same way. Instead, he's saying honor everyone. There's an honor that husbands likewise demonstrate in the way they live their lives. 
It's not this exertion of will to call someone to do something under coercion, but rather it's this beautiful freedom of empowerment that husbands are called to. So, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. What's that mean? What's he calling us to? Husbands, love your wives, live with your wives in an understanding way. I think what he's saying is that inner beauty. He's saying that there's, there's, there's things about them that they are delighting in. I think he's also saying then, delight with them in those things. That there's things that they enjoy, enjoy those things that they enjoy. Because you hope in God, so you happily want to understand your wife more fully. So there was a situation a few years ago. Um, it was in my first year of seminary. And uh, Casey and I were one month married. And I showed up to this Intro to Islam's class. And uh, I'm sitting in this class. And the professor starts sharing about the opportunities that exist globally in Muslim countries all around the world. We're a month married at this point. So I go to this class and my heart is just opening to, to, to what God is doing all around the world. And so I go to our adult ministries pastor at the time. I'm like, Drew, I don't know what's happening, but there's this stirring going on in my heart. Help me understand what's happening. He goes, David, we haven't publicized this yet. I'm a month married at this point. David, we haven't publicized this yet, but we want to send a, a couple to a Muslim country for about a year to three years. Um, is that something you'd be interested in? I'm like, that, I mean, this is it. This is, this is exactly what I think would be a great thing for our family. So I rush home, right? I'm like, Casey, you, you wouldn't believe it. I'm sitting in this Islam's class. We're month married. I'm sitting in this Islam's class and, and, and God is doing this work. And I, and I go to, and I go to Drew and I start talking and he, and he tells us about this opportunity that we could take advantage of. What do you think her response was? There is no way I'm going to Kosovo this year, right? There's no way I'm going. And and so what do I do? I beat her over the head with 1 Peter. I'm like, do you know what the words say? (laughs) No, instead, husbands who hope in God, I think there's a demonstration of pursuing our wives in a way that looks different than those who do not hope in God. And so Peter continues, because I think this hope and pursuing our wives can get manifest in a few ways. Again, I think in extremes. On one extreme, it feels like it could get manifest in passivity. Well, I guess guess she didn't want to go, so we're not going, I I guess, and it becomes this passive interaction with every decision and circumstance we encounter. And that passivity, I think, has a, a myriad of inappropriate ex, uh, expressions when that passivity starts to creep over our hearts. But I also think that there's, there's a context that Peter's writing to that he speaks more to a first century culture where women do not necessarily have a high status in their community. And, and there's an aggressiveness and abusiveness that, that, could, that could manifest itself. Not always just physically, but verbally or emotionally. Instead, Peter's calling husbands who hope in God, you pursue your wife in an understanding way. What does that mean? I think there is this genuine pursuit 
of them and their needs and their desires. Not lording over this, this statement, but rather pursuit, pursuing them. And I think Peter's calling us to celebrate our wife's femininity. In a culture that maybe this isn't as valued, it feels like Peter is saying there's something to be celebrated in our wife's femininity. Here's what he says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. What's he saying? That word woman, feminine. Feminine is the Greek word. Showing honor to these feminine qualities that are possessed. This spirit, right? This gentle spirit. Celebrate that inner beauty as the weaker vessel. Again, anybody else want to take a stab? Anybody else? Weaker vessel. Because I know. Yeah, we'll leave it. Here's, here's the imageries that came to my mind that Peter's calling us to celebrate. There's just a natural way you interact with, with a wine glass versus a campus, a camping thermos. There's a different way that you treat a Jeep versus a Ferrari. I mean, that Jeep, man, you take a couple potholes, it's no problem, right? I mean, if it gets a little dirty and messy in there, I mean, it actually maybe brings out some charm in the Jeep. I mean, I'm not putting my scented candles in those Jeeps to make it smell beautiful. Instead, there's an elegance and the beauty even in these lines of a Ferrari. I just think he's saying there's, there's certain qualities that you can celebrate about these qualities in your wife to celebrate her feminine qualities. And then in a community where wives weren't elevated in their status, here's the beauty. Wherever the cross goes, wherever Christianity spreads, women are elevated in their status. This is embedded in the view of Christianity. Women are held in a beautiful, honorable status. Remember your wife's spiritual standing. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You are not treating your wife as an heir of grace, Peter's writing to his audience. Elevate the way you treat your wife. Why? Because she actually is experiencing the same level of grace as you. You are both heirs to the promise. You are both heirs to the grace of life. Treat your wife, treat women in a way that, that elevates that beautiful role. They are heirs. They are not lower. Instead, elevating their status. It's a beautiful thing. Since they are heirs of you to the grace of life. Treat them as such. And then this last one, hit me so that your prayers may not be hindered. What are the implications for a husband who isn't living in an understanding way, showing honor and treating his wife as a fellow heir of grace? Peter's saying, your connection with God will be significantly hampered should you not treat your wife in a way that reflects that you hope in God. That actually has significant consequences to your relationship with God and your prayers. I think your communion with God. There's an emptiness that you're going to start feeling at the very core of who you are if you treat your wife in any other way than a way that reflects you hope in God. So here's my, here's my four encouragements 
as we, as we, uh, as we conclude. Wives, here's my encouragement. Continue to pursue your greatest joy in Jesus. Don't, don't lose hope. That it feels like your husband's never going to change. But don't pressure or condemn. Instead, continue to gently encourage, demonstrating your hope in God, and accepting your husband for who he is, but not settling for where he is now. So tonight, today, this week, ask your husbands what you could do that would preach a sermon about the patience and generosity of the gospel a little bit fuller this week. Husbands, similar encouragement for us. Pursue your greatest joy in Jesus. We don't boss in an aggressive way or demeaning or coercive way, but we also don't beat ourselves up. We don't pressure or condemn ourselves for, for these ongoing process of spiritual transformation we're in. Instead, we continue to find that ground of pursuing our wife. Don't be afraid, but do take a small step. What would it look like a little bit more fully to embody our hope in God? Not settling for our relationship now, but growing in what Peter is saying, this beautiful display to a watching world. So husbands this week, what would it, what would it look like to ask what you could do that would preach a sermon about the love and generosity of the gospel this week? If you find yourself single, if, if, if this is something that is still something you long to enter into at some point. Because, you know, divorces are down in our country. You guys aware of that? They're down because people have given up on the idea of marriage. <laughs> they just would prefer to cohabitate together. They just, this, this archaic idea of a marriage, what is that? What value is that? And so Christian marriages embody something different. If you're single, there's nothing wrong with being single. Paul preaches that in another text. He says there's a beauty of singleness. But should you want to pursue marriages someday, here's my encouragement. Not finding your security in that relationship. Instead, continuing to pursue your greatest joy in Jesus. But being open. Being open to who God might bring along into your life that would embody a hope either as a future wife or husband. And don't settle. Not wanting to just jump into a relationship, but rather saying, God, I want this person that I'm going to share life with a reflection of your glory. And possibly you find yourself recently or, or divorced in your past. Here's my encouragement. We continue to pursue our greatest joy in Jesus. That our relationship didn't define us. And we don't beat ourselves up. All the shoulda, coulda, wouldas that would tempt to overwhelm us. Instead, we get to pursue and receive God's beautiful forgiveness. But should we want to jump back into a relationship? Again, we don't settle. But instead, pursue this hope in God and long for a person who is also hoping in God. Pray with me. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our lives. And uh, in our deep hope in you, we just want to increase day by day by day and have it manifest in the relationships we find ourselves in. 
So help us live that out a little bit more fully this week in the lives we interact with. For your glory we pray. Amen.